Hey, Southland City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. Want to make sure that you feel a warm welcome today to the Southland City Church podcast. And we are so thankful that you're part of this community, whether you're long distance or local, whether you've been here since the very beginning or today is your first time listening. We're thankful that you're trusting us with your time and that you're tuning in today. A couple things going on in the life of our community before we get to today's teaching. First of all, if you are new and want to know a bit more about our story, what we believe, or how we operate as a community, or if you want to meet some staff and others who are new to South Bend City Church, we wanted to let you know about our new South Bend City Church table happening on November 5th in person at Studebaker 112. It's an opportunity to learn more about us and ask any questions that you may have. And it'll be happening on the 5th right after our 11 a.m. gathering up in the mezzanine. Lunch will be provided, but child care will not. You're more than welcome to bring your kids, but make sure to keep an eye on them yourselves. Because we provide lunch, we need to know how many people to expect. So head to the link in the show notes below to register for November 5th. We hope to see you there. Another thing we'd love to have you join us for is family dedication on October 29th. Family dedication is a chance for all types of families to celebrate the gift of the kids entrusted to their care, to express their commitment to help those kids know the love of God and the good news of Jesus, and for our community to celebrate them and commit to walk alongside these families. Registration will close tomorrow, October 17th, so make sure that you register by then if you're interested. Once again, you can head to the link in the show notes below to register for that. As always, if you consider South Bend City Church to be your home, you can give, whether it be to our general fund, care fund, tribune project, or you give of your time through volunteering. It's through your generosity that South Bend City Church can continue to be a place of grace and peace for our city and for the world. So thank you for all the ways in which you want to give. If you do want to give today, you can head to the link in the show notes below, and we're so grateful for your gifts. All right. So this week was a bit different. We paused our series on the Book of Romans to reflect on the suffering of our Israeli and Palestinian brothers and sisters, and also to consider our response. If you want to continue reading or being parts of conversations like these, you can consider our partners at the Telos Group. The link is in the show notes below as a valuable resource for learning during this difficult time. Thanks again for joining us. Let's jump in with the rest of our community now. Good morning. Uh, My name is Jason. I'm a lead pastor here. If we haven't met, I'd love to catch you after the gathering. Or I could meet you at the new SBCC table coming up around the corner. Uh, Roughly five or six times in the last 13 years, I've found myself in the home of a really uh, lovely uh, woman named Roni uh, to hear her story and uh, get a little picture of her life. Uh, Roni lives uh, in a small town called Sterot, which is 900 meters from the Gaza Wall uh, on the Israeli side of that territory there. And when you go and visit Roni's home, she'll show you the safe room that's a part of every home in that town. And if you've been paying attention in the last week, you might know the town of Sterot because it's one of the places that was attacked by Hamas militants uh, last weekend. Um, Something like 20 people in her small town there were killed and others taken uh, in a town that's much smaller than South Bend, and you can just imagine how everybody knows everyone there and the pain and fear that gripped that place. Uh, Most recently, it was our own SBCC team that was there uh, to meet Roni and hear her story. This is our crew uh, picture here in uh, Jerusalem on that trip, uh, not even a year ago now. And... um, I tell you that because I had a sermon on Romans prepared, and last night at about 9 p.m. I deleted it. Um, We've been working through this letter 
written from Paul to the Christians in Rome, uh, where he writes to them um, out of grave concern that the good news that is transforming them into a community of radical belonging with one another might be threatened. And so he writes a letter full of passion and fire, trying to help them understand what God has done in Christ and what that means for their belonging with one another. And in that letter, um, one of the themes that we've already heard just in the last week or two is that sin and death seem to have a life of their own. That sin and death seem to have their own energy, their own power, their own agenda, their own strength. And this seems to be the case whether it's our own personal points of failure, the the ways that we individually contribute to death and not life in our own world, in our relationships, but also like in the larger systems that shape the world. It seems that sin and death have a power or life or agenda of their own. And um, out of that observation, we asked ourselves some questions just last week. Now, this is what we wrapped up our time with last week. These are a few of the questions that we asked ourselves. We said, where do I feel like I'm up against something bigger than me that takes me in the direction of death, not life, for myself or others? We also asked, where are we up against something bigger than us that takes us in the direction of death, not life? We asked, what does my conscience tell me about our world, about the environments I participate in and shape, about the systems that affect those who live within them? And then we asked this, what does the spirit grieve in our world? And it seems quite obvious to me and probably to you that the spirit grieves what's been happening for the last week and the conditions and the stories and the histories that have led to this moment. Um, We said from the beginning of Southland City Church that we don't want to be the kind of community that on a Sunday morning talks as if we've been living in a different world than the one that we've actually been living in all week. And so I think we should talk about this today a little bit. Um, Not because I'm an expert on the conflict there and um, God knows that you know, pastors never step, on, step in it when they try to talk about Israel and Palestine. That never goes badly at all for anyone. Um, but I don't know what the alternative is. Um, because just last week, we sat in this room and we asked ourselves, what does the spirit grieve in our world? And just last week, we asked ourselves, where do we feel like we, we are up against something bigger than ourselves? And just last week, we asked ourselves about the systems that com- cause harm to the people who live within them. And then we've lived through the week of headlines that we've been living through, and I think we just have to talk about it. Um, In um, what amounts to something like three months of my life over the last 13 years, having spent like three months of my life in shorter doses over in that land, being educated on the, the many different experiences that people are having there, both Israelis and Palestinians, um, I don't know if I've seen a more potent example of the idea that sin and death seem to have a life of their own, that these, these energies get a hold of us and move us in harmful directions. Now, um, there's a feeling I've had on those trips, and that's a feeling that I've had in my own life when I'm up against the, the very nature of sin in my own life, the very failure points that characterize my own life. 
there's a feeling that I've had when I read these headlines this week, and it comes back to this basic idea that there's like three options that you have when you come up against the thing that's bigger than you or more powerful than you, that's defeating you or defeating us. It seems like there's three options. The first option is denial. And a lot of us are pretty invested in denial, whether it's the personal stuff that we're dealing with or the big stuff that we're dealing with. And denial can look um, like a lot of different things. It often looks like distracting ourselves or um, medicating ourselves. And I don't mean, by the way, that it's bad to use really good psychological medications when you need them. I'm talking about the kind of numbing agents that we turn into to just sort of like tamp down the things that we were feeling that are hard to face. So denial can be a way of sort of basically pretending that everything's fine and we really are in control when in fact things are not fine and we're not in control. But that's one move that we can make, right? And maybe you've been there with the things that you're bumping into in your own life or maybe you've been there this week. Another move that we can make when you realize like there are things beyond our control here, there are things that are bigger than us that we are up against, well, that can go in two directions as far as I can tell. One move is resignation. We just throw our hands up in the air, we shrug our shoulders and we say, I guess this is actually the way things are. We just resign ourselves to it. There's one other move um, that I've seen that we can make though between denial and resignation, there's another path for us and the path I would describe is something more like surrender. Uh, I learned this in particular from my friends in recovery. Uh, I've got a lot of friends who are working the 12 steps and I've seen in their own lives such beautiful change. I've seen healing in their lives. I've seen radical possibilities emerge in their lives and every one of them will tell you that the first step of that was surrender, the admittance that you're up against something bigger than yourself. And then the move to say, but maybe there's something else bigger than me that wants to help me right now, and that's what I want to surrender to. So yeah, maybe sin and death are these enemies that we are up against that are bigger than us. Maybe violence feels like something so systemic and entrenched that it can't be defeated by us. But to surrender is to say, I'm going to open my heart to something else that's bigger than, than me and bigger than those things too. There's this um, passage in Romans that I was going to look at this week. And by the way, the exegetical interpretation vis-a-vis -vis Jew and Gentile relations in the first century in the law means that what I'm about to do with this text isn't quite what I was going to do with this text, but I don't care. I'm going to use it right now because I think it helps. Amen. So um, there's this moment in Paul in chapter 7. It's kind of a famous passage in Romans. And again, I'm not really teaching it exegetically right now. And if I were, we'd say some other things about what he seems to be doing rhetorically. But it's so relatable. This is Paul in Romans chapter 7. He says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. He goes on. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And this feels very human to me, that we want to be better. We want to do better. We want to live for love. But this other thing seems to have a grip on us. And he says, what a wretched man am I. And uh, there have been days this week when I think, what wretched people are we? I just mean humans. Like, look what we do to one another sometimes. And he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I have an allergy to simplistic sermons and, like, sentimental Christian teaching. <laughs> and I don't mean to just sprinkle some Jesus on this nonsense and, like, send you out the door with a smile on your face. I think what Paul is reflecting on, the thing that he's naming, and I've said this before, is like 
Paul, first of all, thought that the man Jesus, whose body ended up on a cross, was the farthest possible thing from God. In fact, he thought that Jesus and Jesus' followers were a threat to God's people. And then, in an utter shock to his senses on the road to Damascus, he, he met in one moment the voice of God in the presence of Jesus, who had been crucified and then seems to have been raised up or resurrected, which suggests a couple of things. One is that, that God has actually gotten down inside the very problem that we are naming right now. That this human struggle that we are up against, where the, the, our worst demons come to, to bear on the world, where we have these impulses to do the worst against one another, this is something that God has lived in, in a human body, among a people who have experienced those very kinds of things. And if for a moment it looked like God in that body had been defeated by those things, when he finds his own body up on a cross, where for 2,000 years Christians have reflected in all sorts of ways how in some mysterious way that moment is a moment when all of our worst, all of our own capacities for sin and death, these things that we are all up against that are bigger than us, somehow all of that is brought against him. And for a moment it seems to have the same effect on him that it has on us, that it defeats him. But then later, three days, he comes out of the grave and a little while after that, that same resurrected Christ meets Paul on a road where it seems Paul from that moment began to discover there is another thing that we're not up against but that we are with and that's with us. Which is the life of God, not just in Christ but in us. And surrender is perhaps that stance in the heart that says, like, I'm done pretending I can handle this on my own, but I'm not going to just resign myself. I'm going to ask for help. And I'm going to believe that when I do so, I am, I am opening my life and my heart to the presence of the same God who by the Spirit raises Jesus up from the dead and who by the Spirit wants to lead us in better futures and better ways of being with one another and I fear that could just sound like a little bit of flimsy theology in the face of geopolitical events that are heartrending and terrifying. But I've also seen in a million ways what happens when people take what I just said seriously. And it doesn't always make the headlines, but it changes lives and neighborhoods and even worlds. I've seen it firsthand, and I think you have too, if you just reflect for a moment on the people you've been with and the moments in your own life when you came up against it And you were tempted to deny it, and then when you realized denial wasn't going to work anymore, you were tempted to resign yourself, but then somehow, somewhere in your life, the possibility of surrender presented itself to you. To say, I'm up against something bigger than me, but there's something else that's bigger than that, that's with me and for me and invites me to open my life to it. And Paul says, who, who will save us from this mess? And then he names Jesus Christ, which is to name his own experience of death that had been transformed into life. And I think we're going to need a lot of that in the next few weeks and months and years. I think it's important for American Christians, and I know not every person here is actually an American, but um, for those of us who are part of this context, I think it's important for us to um, name for a moment the the connection that we have to all of this and perhaps even the implications for all of us. Uh, I remember on my first trip over to the land in 2010, um, I began to see slowly at first and then clearly and then very painfully the ways that things preached from American pulpits shape American minds and imaginations 
which creates American culture, which drives American politics, which drives American policy in another place. And I'm not an expert on foreign policy, and I won't go too far with this, but I will just tell you what I saw over and over again is that theology has consequences. I felt it at Yad Vashem, which is the Jewish Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem, where you walk moment by moment through the atrocities that were committed against German Jews. And then I reminded throughout that story how the German church at first ignored it and then went along with it and then found theologies to support it. And you get to the end of that story in that museum and you, your heart is broken and you say to yourself, theology has consequences. On that same first trip, I found myself in Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is the mosque uh, on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. This is um, next to the Dome of the Rock, which is a shrine built on top of Islam's third holiest site. And there in Al-Aqsa Mosque, in a display case, they're quick to show you the tear gas canisters that had been fired upon them while they were praying in this, saying, made in the USA. And you don't get to really pretend that you're not an American in that moment. Um, governments are not the same thing as their people, and that's an important thing to remember right now, too. But also, um, we're connected to these things in ways that we may not realize, in ways that may not be comfortable, but we're connected. And it's important to say that. Um, I've told you before, Instagram figured out that I'm a preacher, and they seem to think that I want in my Discover feed to see what other preachers are saying. <laughs> it may be because I keep watching like a train wreck, you know, like just can't look away. Oh, it's so bad. Um, not all preachers, right? Just the ones they keep showing me. <laughs> and in the last week, I have seen absolute theological malpractice happening in my feed as people do asinine things to the book of Revelation that it was never written to do, making connections that the writer John never meant to be made. Because I promise you, whatever the book of Revelation was written for, it wasn't written so that for 2022 years, people could ignore it because it had nothing to do with them. And then and suddenly, in the year 2023, you can finally crack the code. That's not why these letters are written. I preached a whole series about it a few years ago. Look for Revelation in the podcast feed. Um, but here's the good news. Regardless of how you interpret Revelation or anything else in the Bible, Jesus has already given you the interpretive key to check your math on whether you are interpreting Scripture rightly. It comes from a couple of moments in the Gospels where people come to Jesus and say, what does the law say to us? In other words, what does God want from us? What's the deepest, purest truth by which we can interpret the words that God has given us? And he says in multiple times, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you've come up with a theology that is causing your neighbor to be harmed, you got the math wrong. Period. End of story. And that goes in every direction. That, that's that's a, a word for every one of us in the world that we live in and the people that our own theologies have caused us to in, ignore or dehumanize. When one person's suffering breaks our heart and another's is justified, we've lost the plot. 
So I have been um, moving between denial, resignation, and surrender all week. No, God, please, it can't, it can't be what I, it, oh, no, it is. It's, it's that bad. And then resignation, like, well, here we are again, you know? But I am slowly learning the pattern that moves me towards surrender. That says whatever we are called to, whatever will be good in our lives, whatever stance we can take in the world right now, will come from surrender to say, like, yeah, we're up against it right now. Systems of violence and hatred are raging right now. And I fear that they will rage for a while. But as much as we are up against something bigger than ourselves, we also are invited into something bigger than ourselves. Jesus keeps saying over and over again, the kingdom of God is yours. God wants to live God's life in you and through you right now. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Though you may have a poverty within you, though you may be grieving, though you may have been made meek by the systems or circumstances around you, though you may be aching for things to be made right in the world. You may be famished for righteousness or justice in the world right now. He says, but God will give God's self to you. You don't have to earn it or prove yourself or make anything of yourself. Simply surrender and God will give God's self to you. And somehow, that might begin to make different ways of being possible. On that first trip uh, to Israel and Palestine, I met an activist, a Palestinian man named Sammy Awad. And we sat with Sammy and he said, you know, everybody likes to talk about frameworks for peace, frameworks for peace. Every new American president, you know, if they want to get involved in it, they try to bring a new framework for peace. Every new administration has a new idea of a framework for peace. And everybody seems to think we've got to get the framework right and then we can move toward peace. And Sammy says, the thing about a frame is like, picture like a work of art. He says, frames are good, but some of us just need to start painting. Just doing the work of peace. And Roni, who I told you about, who lives in Starot, who's home I've been in many times and seen her safe room, she's one of those people who, she wasn't waiting for a framework. She just decided to start creating something in the midst of all that's broken right now. And it's, it's, in some ways, it's this simple. Roni, on the Israeli side of the wall, has made friends through digital communication with Palestinians on the Gaza side of the wall. And what this means is, um, in moments of elevated intensity and attacks, they just get on the phone together and they spend those moments of horror on the phone with one another. And Roni shares what's happening right now in Starot with her friends in Gaza. And these Palestinian friends in Gaza share in real time what's happening to them. And they're like, I, they'll tell you, like, I don't know if this will change anything in the larger geopolitical military status quo. But what's broken is that we have been told that we are enemies and we are going to live as friends right now. We're not going to wait. We're going to do it right now. Uh, they also, uh, from time to time, not when things are as bad as they are right now, residents from Gaza through a very cumbersome application process can sometimes make their way to an Israeli hospital for treatment. And it's Roni and her friends who meet those Palestinians at the Gaza-Israel border to make sure they have a ride to get them on that side of the wall to the hospital and take them back. And in some ways, those seem like small things. In other ways, they seem like radical, revolutionary things. But more than that, they feel like what it looks like when life is breaking in in the midst of death. When some are being liberated from the power of sin and entropy, even while those things are raging all around them. And I have them in mind this week. 
knowing the hope that I feel when I am with Roni and other peacemakers who are doing the work right now. All of Jesus' metaphor for the kingdom, all but many of them, they describe circumstances where something absurdly small and insignificant is actually the way that God breaks in. And over time, the absurdly small and insignificant takes over the whole field. But again, I think it takes surrender because as long as I want to be in control and as long as I want to feel powerful, I will never give myself over to these things that are absurdly small because my ego just can't handle it. Right? I want to feel powerful in moments like this. I want to feel useful in moments like this. And then the kingdom breaks in with something as simple as an open phone line, perhaps. Um, I want to point you to some resources in case you want to learn right now and also in case you want to figure out how to help right now. Uh, for several years now, South and City Church has partnered with an organization called the Telos Group. Uh, Telos is who led our trip over to Israel and Palestine just last November. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Telos, and then I'll point you to these resources. Um, Telos has an interesting founding story. Uh, two guys, Todd Dethridge and Greg Khalil, are the founders of it. Um, back during the Bush administration, Todd Dethridge had sort of made his way up through Republican politics. He's a, he's a red state boy from Arkansas who um, eventually, in working on a local congressional campaign with a representative, ended up becoming the chief of staff to the senator from Arkansas and then moved over to the State Department where Todd had a fairly high-level position reporting directly to Condoleezza Rice during the Bush administration. And during Todd's time in the Bush administration, um, the Middle East desk was one of his responsibilities. And so Todd often found himself over in uh, Israel and Palestine at the negotiating table as smaller issues were being worked out. And every time he'd go over there, there's this guy across the table, this Palestinian young man named Greg Khalil. Greg's Palestinian-American, bright, Yale law grad, progressive and lefty, like blue through and through, right? Um, but toward the end of the Bush administration, when Todd's job was coming to an end and when um, Greg was looking for a change, they both found a shared conviction that all of these political and military realities that were shaping that land were being influenced by upstream realities, like the things that were happening in American churches on Sundays. And they realized, like, if you, if you really want to help move things toward a better future for everyone in that land, you might have to go upstream and help faith communities learn what peace really looks like. Like, what is the work of peacemaking, and how can we be a part of it? And that's how I found myself on one of their very first trips in 2010 and been traveling with them ever since. Um, I know there's a lot of conflicting opinions and claims about what's happening in the land and what Christians should think of it. I will just go on the record today. And I I know in a, in a church community, everybody has their own level of trust with the pastor. That's fine. Some of you trust me a lot. Some of you don't trust me at all. That's okay. Whatever level of trust I have with you, I would like to cash that in today and use it to commend the work of the Telos group and tell you I've seen their work and their character through and through, and I can't commend them highly enough. They are competent. Their theology is as good as it gets. They know what they're doing, and they're credible because they're in the trenches doing it every day. Um, so if you want to learn, if you want to figure out what you do right now, I would encourage you to learn from the Telos group. Let me put these on the screen now. Uh, they're easy to find on Twitter slash X. Uh, they're just Telos group. On Instagram, it's at the Telos group. On Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash Telos group. Uh, if you find their website, you can also sign up for their email newsletter, which is really helpful at times like this. Also, you can find a podcast from Telos where just this past week they recorded an update episode. 
explaining a lot of what's happening and how they see our part in all of this. Uh, they also have a Peacemakers Fund. So you can get tel to Telos directly, and like, definitely do that, because Telos's work is really good and important right now. You can find the giving on their website. But the Peacemakers Fund for Telos is where every dollar given to that, they channel that over to the actual, like the peacemakers, the bona fide everyday people who are in the trenches, um, both Israelis and Palestinians, Jews, Muslims, and Christians, who are doing the kind of work that we would affirm. And so by giving to the Peacemakers Fund, you can get money directly to people who are on the ground doing this, um, and you can trust that the money is going to places where it'll be well used, and it really matters. Uh, but I recommend uh, the Telos Group highly if you want to figure some things out right now. Um, I know it's been a hard week in the news. I also know that you might have had a hard week having nothing to do with what's been in the news. Uh, I don't know where you're up against the thing that feels bigger than you, that feels like it's defeating you. And maybe you've been there lately, or maybe it's been a while since you felt that. But I know we, we come and go through those seasons. And I want to tell you, like, you don't have to deny it, and you don't have to resign yourself to it. There's another possibility, which is that you're being invited in those moments of defeat to open yourself up to God, who is even bigger than the things that you are facing and who, in ways that are mysterious and often frustratingly slow, wants to bring God's own life to you and live God's own life through you and through that work, through that gift to make a difference. I thought we would end today uh, with a prayer. So, um, I've tried to offer a prayer here that will um, name a few things and create a space for us to lament and to offer surrender. And um, it won't be a perfect prayer, but it, with the help of some friends, it's the best one that I could come up with for us today. And so I thought um, I would invite you if you'd like to be a part of this prayer. It's written, it'll be on the screen. Um, and maybe in this moment you'll think of those experiences in your own life where you've discovered that surrender actually is the sort of threshold over which you walk into a different way of being and a different life with God that makes different things possible in the world. And I don't know that it'll change anything overnight. Um, but we need change at any rate that we can get it right now. And so I would invite you um, to not just pray this prayer with me, but to find a posture of surrender in your heart if that's something that you feel prone to right now. So if you're able and if you'd like to participate in this prayer, will you stand to your feet? Uh, I'll read the, the, the plain text parts, and then if you'd like, you can read out loud the parts in bold. God of peace, God of life. We pray because many of us feel that we are up against an adversary that's stronger than us. For some of us, it shows up in our selfishness. For some, it shows up in our addictions. For some, it shows up in the ways we lash out. For some, it shows up in the ways we turn against ourselves. We feel the grip of sin and death, both in what we have done and in what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. 
having realized that we're up against something bigger than us that takes us toward death, not life. Help us name it rather than deny it. Help us choose surrender over resignation. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. God of peace, God of life, we pray in a moment when the world is breaking and people are suffering. The power of violence, sin, and death seems all-consuming right now. The violence suffered by Israelis a week ago is incomprehensible in its evil. We lament the loss of life and the fear instilled among the Jewish people. They have known far too much loss and fear in their history, and even today live in a world where they are often singled out for hate. The violence suffered by the Palestinians in Gaza this week is incomprehensible in its evil. We lament the loss of life and the fear instilled among the Palestinians who today live under occupation and who endure the suffering it creates. We pray for justice to overcome vengeance. We pray for peace to overcome violence. We pray for the flourishing of every person and the defeat of every system that denies the dignity of some for the privilege of others. While we may feel daunted by these circumstances, help us choose surrender over resignation. Show us what you're doing so that we can join you in it. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Amen.
It's like an awkward Sunday to bring your friend to church. Sorry about that. Um, uh, I, I hope what we offered here today is helpful. I know it wasn't perfect. It began being written at about 9 o'clock last night. So um, I hope you hear the heart in this. Uh, we've always said we want to be a church that talks about real things. Um, and I just didn't know how we could come in here and uh, pretend, you know. Um, So may we tell the truth about the things that we are up against. Sin and death are raging in the world, and we don't want to be naive about that. But may we also discover the truth of surrender and the gift of the kingdom that perhaps enters the world small and meek, but will one day fill the world. And may we learn how to root our lives in that love and surrender even now for the good of all those who call this place home. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.